Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody out this morning, and uh, so glad you're here. If you're joining us by live stream, we're glad to have you uh, join us as well. And and we are so thankful for some uh, first-time guests today. We want you to know that we have been captivated by Christ through the gospel and the good news of Jesus. We have seen God's glory through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. We've understood His grace, which shows us the pinnacle of His glory, and we have come to be captivated by Him. And so we pray today that uh, you will see our enjoyment of His beauty. Uh, you'll see His beauty for your own self, for your own heart, uh, and, and come to be captivated by Him as well. I want to thank our church family for allowing the Lord to use you in generous giving to all the various needs that we have before us this holiday season. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. We're um, trying to serve and, and, and give toward many different things. We'll talk about those at the end of the service, but thank you for your uh, willingness to serve the Lord in helping those uh, who are needy and, um, and, and serve them in that way this, this Christmas season. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Christmas is about the coming of Jesus, this Advent season, which means the coming. It's about Jesus coming to serve us. He served us in many ways when He walked the earth. Uh, he served humanity in many ways, healed so many people, did miracles, raised the dead. But ultimately, he came and was born to die. He might come and give his life a ransom for many. And this, today is the second Sunday of Advent. That word does mean the coming. Advent's for believers. It's for those who believe that, that Christ came into the world and that he is coming again. We've experienced... We've experienced and we celebrate His first advent, His first coming, and we long for His second coming. Amen? Now, that was ridiculous. So we're going to do that over. We long for His second coming. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's four Sundays in Advent. Uh, a candle is lit each week to symbolize the light of the world who came to earth the first Christmas to bring us hope, peace, joy, and love, the gifts that our world most needs and gifts that only God can give. And He did give those gifts to us through the Lord Jesus. Today, uh, the second candle of Advent is the candle of peace. And we light that candle today, uh, celebrating the fact that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He brings us hope, as we talked about last week. And today, we'll be talking about how He brings us peace and gives us peace that only He, as the Prince of Peace, can give. Aren't you thankful that you know him, if you're his today, as the Prince of Peace? Aren't you thankful for peace with God and peace, the peace that comes from his presence? So many around the world, though, don't have that peace. You know people that don't have that peace. And so we want to pray for our neighbors. We want to pray for the nations. This morning we want to pray for one unreached people group, the Emirati Arabs in the United Arab Emirates. This is a Muslim people group of over a million uh, with only 0.3% of 1%, 3.3% of 1% um, believers there. And so we want to pray for God to penetrate that people group with the gospel. Join me as we pray also for a number who are sick and some families who are grieving. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. 
your life, death, and resurrection has made peace between us and God. It's broken down all barriers between us as people. Whatever would divide us on earth apart from Christ, outside of fellowship with you, Lord, no longer has to divide us. We can be one in your love. Thank you for that. Father, we pray for our neighbors who don't know your peace. And Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and compassion, that we'd be moved to speak of the Prince of Peace, even this Advent season, to them. Lord, we lift up the Emirati Arabs and pray, God, that you would penetrate that people group with the gospel. The few believers that are there, Lord, use them in power. Lord, use them beyond their own abilities. Give them supernatural uh, strength and, and just your anointing to spread the word there that many might believe. Lord, we pray for uh, so many this morning on our prayer list. But we lift each of these up to you, Father. You know each situation inside and out, and we thank you for that. Lord, each of these names, you know their whole situation. You, you see their hearts. You understand their struggles, their pain, their, their, their grief. And God, you are the great physician as well as the God of all comfort. So God, I pray that you would be in each of these lives, and the lives of these families, what is needed. We pray for Judy Williams and Roy Price. Uh, Lord, both especially uh, difficult situations there. Lord, we pray for Mr. Roy especially that he would... Uh, you would just be gracious and merciful there. Strengthen Judy as she cares for him. We pray for um, Sophia Deerwent, Elizabeth Powell, Brandon Powell. Uh, pray for Ray Thompson and Vicki White. Continue to pray for Lana Weberg and Larry Colson and Nancy Mosher, Jose Manuel, Carol Davis, Sam Port, Denise Key. Ed Schroeder and Scotty Sanford. Pray for Jamie Dotson and Wes Paramore. And God, this morning we, we add to the list Amanda Howard, Michael's uh, daughter as she's pregnant with twins. And uh, one of the twins has stopped growing. We pray for um, yet unborn baby Fallon that you would work there and cause this little girl to grow that she might uh, go to full term and, uh, and develop well. We pray for the families of Bertha Gentry and Judy Godowns as they grieve even, even today. Father, thank you that we can lift these things to you. Thank you that you see and know. And Lord, we praise you for the privilege of being in your presence today. Lord, there are no accidents. There are no... Um, coincidences in life and so we know that right now Lord this is a divine appointment with you may we treat this hour as such and may we listen and God may you speak may we hear your voice and may we be changed for your name's sake Lord help us to drink deeply from the fountain of living water even now as we worship in song and we ask it all in Christ's name amen Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us. We're going to sing uh, Joy to the World.
for a moment, but keep singing. <laughs>
keep you on your toes. You don't want to stand again. We'll sing this <laughs> last one. It's called The Glorious Impossible. Beautiful words.
Father, we praise you today for the beautiful mystery of the incarnation. Lord, to think that God the Son became man and was fully God and yet fully man, born as a baby to a virgin in a real place in our history, an out-of-the-way town among ordinary people. What condescension and grace. What a miracle. What a mystery. How glorious is that seeming impossibility, Lord, to think. that You know what we experience firsthand. You were in all ways tempted as we are, and yet without sin, you know what it is to feel human on every level and yet you walk through each of our struggles and temptations and we're obedient and holy. You lived a perfect life in our place and then you went to the cross and there bore in your own body as the perfect sacrifice both God and man the only way you could have died in our place. And you paid the price for all of our sins. You were buried. And you rose from the dead on the third day in victory over sin and hell. That today now, Lord, we can trust you. We can rest in Jesus. And we can have peace with God forever, eternally. We who were your enemies, can now call you Father. And we can walk with you. By your power, we can obey and honor and please and glorify you with our lives. What a privilege, what a joy. All because you came to a world of sinners seeking to save when we had no interest. Thank you that your love pursued and overcame us. May we learn more about your love today as we open your word together. Thank you, Father, for this privilege and this honor and this joy. We need your help in all things. We need your Spirit's power and teaching. So we lean on you. We ask all this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We dismissed the children's church, and as they're making their way out, I invite you to turn within your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 this morning. F.B. Meyer made this statement. He said, as we pour out our bitterness, God pours in His peace. As we pour out our bitterness, in prayer to God is the idea there, God pours into our hearts His peace. When we left off in Ruth 1 last week, we saw Naomi telling her uh, friends and family back in Bethlehem 
to no longer call her Naomi or pleasant or sweet, but to call her Mara, bitter. And this morning we're going to turn the page into chapter 2 and we're going to see peace enter the picture. We're walking through the story behind the Christmas story, at least one of them. There's a bunch of them, right? The whole Old Testament's full of stories behind the Christmas story. We all know the Christmas story. And we'll get there on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But do you know the story behind the Christmas story as it comes from the book of Ruth? My hope is that this story will make our enjoyment of the Christmas story all the richer this year. You know, sometime in the next few weeks, you'll likely hear the words at least once or maybe a hundred times. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a what? A mouse. And you could go on. Today and, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider a story, continue to consider a story that begins like this, "'Twas a thousand years before Christmas.'" The story of Ruth occurs about a thousand years prior to the birth of Christ. And here's the truth that I want us to take away from this book as a whole, this series as a whole. A thousand years before Christmas, God was working in the history of one widow's despair to establish the family tree through which he would send the Messiah, even Jesus Christ. A thousand years in advance, God was making sure all the pieces were in place, all the lives were set in place so that Jesus' family tree would be firmly established and ready for his coming. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, we read this genealogy. Salmon fathered Boaz, who we'll meet this morning in chapter 2. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And so that much of a family tree is given, showing us the connection of Boaz to David. And then if you turn over to Matthew 1, and this on the screen so you don't have to flip there, verses 5 and 6, in the genealogy of Jesus, in verse 5 we pick up the same basic uh, genealogy there. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by who? Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. You skip down to verse 16, and you see it coming all the way down to Christ and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We looked at chapter 1 of the story last week. And there in chapter 1, we saw the light of hope amid the darkness of despair. We talked about the truth that God sovereignly shines the light of hope in His faithful love while we're in the midst of the darkness of, des of despair. Naomi had come through 10 plus years of tragedy and despair, losing her husband and her two sons there in that foreign land of Moab. And there she was, left all alone, but her also widowed Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, the text told us, had clung to her and refused to leave her alone, even to the point of going with her and journeying back to Naomi's homeland and hometown there in Judah in the little town of, you guessed it, Bethlehem. 
Because the famine that had driven her family to Moab in the beginning had ended, and there was now once again bread in the house of bread. Bethlehem, bait means house, the house of bread. And as we close out chapter 1, a glimmer of hope was beginning to shine for Naomi and Ruth for the first time in a very long time. We've all been there, haven't we? Today we come to chapter 2, where we find a blossoming and peace-providing barley-filled romance. How about that? Did you know you could find love in a barley field? Well, it happens in Ruth 2. A blossoming, it's not going to come to full fruition yet, a blossoming and peace-providing barley-filled romance. Here's what I want you to see from Ruth chapter 2. God surprises us with His lavish, peace-providing love in the most unlikely places. God surprises us with His lavish, peace-providing love in the most unlikely places. We're just going to work our way through the chapter. Begin with me now reading in verse 1 of Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now we've already referred back to the last words of chapter 1, but remember with me again those last words of chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, you can look there. And you'll see the last words of chapter 1 are, And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi has just said, Stop calling me Naomi, call me bitter, Mara. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She said there was hope in those words. Naomi and Ruth had come back to Bethlehem at a time when food was available, but they had no guarantees. And as this chapter 2 here begins, the author up front gives us as the readers some important information in advance. There just happens to be in Bethlehem a relative of Naomi's husband, and he's about to enter the story. Now, you and I as readers of the story get to know that up front. Naomi and Ruth don't know this yet. That's very important to keep in mind as the story continues to unfold in this chapter. We're made aware of it, but they don't know yet. And so verse 2 picks up, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now what's going on there? What's that all about? What does that mean when Ruth says, Let me go to the fields and glean after somebody who will give me favor? Well, Ruth is seeking provision that God who has always had a heart of mercy for the fatherless, the poor, the stranger, the widow, and the helpless, has set up in in, in the life of Israel there. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, it says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And in Israel, God had actually set up in their law a way to care for the poor during harvest time. That's what Ruth is referring to here. Landowners and harvesters were commanded to leave grain in the corner of the fields in order to provide for those who had no land and no food. Deuteronomy 24, 19 is where we find that. When you reap, the people of Israel told, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, 
and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Now, it wouldn't be much, but it was more than nothing. And God had built this in to the, to, to the life of, of, of Israel. So Ruth is setting out to find a field where she could collect a little bit of grain for her and Naomi. Anybody who was poor like Ruth was dependent on a landowner being willing to leave some grain here and there for those who were less like them, less fortunate, to come along and pick it up. So as Ruth goes out, she's completely at the mercy of finding a kind and generous landowner. To make this situation more difficult than her poverty, as the author points out, she was Ruth the Moabite. She's a foreign widow in the land. And not just a foreigner, but a foreigner with a bad reputation because of where she's from. The Israelites hated the Moabites. She was literally a woman without a clan and was going as a Moabite alone into the fields of the Israelites trying to find somebody who, just anybody who would let her collect just a little bit of grain. This was survival mode. I want you to understand what's going on here. This is not getting up and going to a a good paying job. This is hoping to find something in the dumpster that you can survive on. Verse 3, so she set out. And went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan, if you forgot from verse 1, who was of the clan of who? Elimelech, who was the husband of who? Now deceased husband of who? Naomi. Literally, when it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Literally in the Hebrew there it says, as chance chanced it. We would say as chance would have it. As chance chanced it. The author uses this dramatic language to underscore the sovereign hand of God. Something that could only be in God's orchestration of the details. But I want you to see there's more that just so happened in this story. Verse 4 says, and behold, here's another thing that just happened, just chanced along, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now, are you, are you getting the picture? This is day one of Ruth's reaping. She just takes off, finds what she thinks looks like a good field, and it just so happens it's Boaz's field. And as she gets there, so does he. It just so happens that Boaz arrives. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. He he seems, in in that exchange, just you can tell he's, he's a different kind of man. He's a different kind of master. And his love and, and kindness to those who are working for him. Someone has said, coincidence is often just God's way of remaining anonymous. The reality is there are no coincidences in our lives. And that's the first point I want you to take home with you today. God sovereignly orchestrates 
the details of our lives in order to meet us in our need and provide for us in such a way that makes his presence and power undeniable. Do you realize how long Ruth could have gone without even finding somebody in Israel who would have let her stay in their field? She was a Moabite. There was no social reason for anybody to let her stay. They hated Moabites. And as we'll see in a minute, they were often harassing of the poor, even in, in, in contradiction to God's law. Don't miss it here. God sovereignly orchestrates the details of your life, my life, in order to meet us in our need and provide for us in such a way that makes his presence and power undeniable. Verse 5 goes on. Then Boaz said to his young man, who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Wow. Not only does Ruth happen to come to Boaz's field, not only does Boaz happen to show up at the same time, Boaz notices this young woman, Ruth, and he finds out who she is, and he goes to talk to this young widow. And he assures her, now listen, using an term of endearment here, now listen, my daughter. We, we learn from the, the text a little bit later on, Boaz was an old, older fella. Ruth was a young widow. He's an older man. Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. It's interesting that the language here, includes the same word that was used back in Ruth 1.14. You remember last week when we talked about, um, when we read that text about Ruth and, and, and Naomi was telling her and Orpah to go home, and, and after it was all said and done, the text says Ruth refused to go home, and the text says Ruth clung to Naomi. We talked about how that's the same Hebrew words used in Genesis to speak of a husband cleaving to his wife. Well, it's the same word used here when Boaz tells her to keep close, to cling to my own women. Stay right here. Just like you clung to Naomi, I want you to cling to my field. I want you to stay. I want you to remain here in this field. Verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This whole thing is absolutely amazing. These conversations just would not have happened in that day. For Boaz to talk to one of the widows out there gleaning, one of the poor widows gleaning in his field, just it, it wasn't a normal interaction. And yet here he is talking to her, to her and, 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 and moreover, telling her to stay right here in this field. You stay with my workers. And even if they move to another field, you just follow them. You stay right with them. Where they glean, you glean. 
I've already told my men not to touch you. And that's a reference to how oftentimes the poor, and particularly poor widows, were harassed by the, the men there as they worked in the fields. But then he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. In that culture, the women would have drawn the water for the men, first of all. And yet here, Ruth gets to drink the water that the men had drawn for themselves and at Boaz's command for her. Add to that the fact that she was a foreign woman, a Moabite of all things, and we see grace untold being shown to Ruth. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found? Her, her reaction shows you how, how, how crazy the whole scene is. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What's become clear to me, Ruth, is this. You've come here. And it, it, just your being here is so unlikely. And so what's clear to me is the reason you're here is not just kindness to Naomi, but you've come with Naomi because her God is indeed going to be your God. And you're going to take shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. That's why you're here. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You see, Boaz just believed God. He believed God and he, and he shows us the heart of God for the needy who look to him. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says of God, he, or says, says, says of us as we imitate God, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him. The Lord, is, that is, will reward the giver the one who gives to the poor for what he has done. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. When we give to the needy, it's as if we're lending to the Lord himself. It's as if we're doing it, in New Testament language, unto Christ. But also, as we just mentioned, Ruth is looking to God here as her refuge. The Lord repay you, verse 12 again, for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Sounds a whole lot like Psalm 91, verse 1, where it says, He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow, in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's exactly what Ruth was doing. And so the second thing I want you to see from this story is the truth that God seeks the needy. And the helpless who look to him to be in his family and to shelter them in his wings, under his wings. Those are the kind of people God wants in his family. Those are the kind of people God delights to shelter under his wings. The needy, the helpless, who will look to him in their need, who will look to him in their weakness. So the question is, are you looking to him today? Do you see yourself in Ruth? Are you coming to him 
to take refuge under his wings this morning. Well, the story gets even better. Crazy scenario already. Boaz taking notice of this young woman, everything falling together time-wise, everybody being together in the same place, having this great conversation, this amazing conversation, this, this, this provision conversation with, with Ruth. But then in verse 14, it goes on and gets even better. They have their first date. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Just make a little mental note about the leftover part right there. That'll come up again in the chapter. This is unheard of. This is craziness. The landowner eating with his workers is one thing. The guys he pays to be out there harvesting his barley, for him to, to have lunch with them, that's one thing. But for the landowner to sit down with the poor or the widows, for Boaz to invite a foreign widow to lunch was just nuts. And so there she sat at his table allowed to eat his food, this whole thing would have almost been scandalous. And so we see Boaz and Ruth, if you will, albeit a group date on their first date, having lunch there in the barley field, a blossoming and peace-providing barley field romance. And that's our third point here. God gives the needy who look to him a seat at his table and graciously serves them. Do you see yourself in Ruth? David Platt said, see yourself at the table. Realize the Lord of the harvest has invited you to sit at his table. And not just to sit there, but to be served by him. The God of the universe is stooped to serve you at his table, to shock you with his love, to speak to your heart, and to satisfy your desires. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what the coming of Christ through a virgin in a little town of Bethlehem is all about. He's come to serve us. As we read at the beginning of the service, Mark 10, 45, in Jesus' own words, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Christmas is all about Jesus coming to serve you. To serve me in my neediness, in my helplessness, in my sinfulness. And to serve me in, ultimate, in the ultimate fashion by going to the cross and bearing in his own body on that tree my sins. And bearing the wrath of Almighty God toward my sins in his body for me. That's why, why Jesus came. And that's why we celebrate the birth of Christ. God sent His Son into the world to give us, a, give us grace and mercy. To give us a seat at His table where He serves us with His love. Jesus was born to live a perfect life in our place and then to die the death that we deserve that 
we who were his enemies might be adopted into his family and by his grace be made children of the living God. This is the Christmas story. Well, in verse 15, the story continues. They have their lunch date. Then it says, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Remember, he's already told them, don't harass her, leave her alone, let her do her thing. Don't bother her. Now he goes a step further. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Guys, here's the deal. This afternoon, make it easy for Ruth to get more than she needs today. Once you've already gathered up a bundle of barley, that would be more than, than one stalk, a bunch of stalks put together. Every now and then drop one of those bundles. Leave them for her. In fact, when you get to the truck where all the bundles are being loaded, take a few of those and throw them on the ground in her direction as well. And verse 17 says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's just so meaningful to us, isn't it? You're in awe. There was a gasp that swept across the sanctuary when you read the word an ephah of barley. You didn't, but you should have. In that day, this would have equaled... After, it, after she beat it out, it would have equaled about 40 pounds of barley. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I could identify barley, so I'm just going to confess that up front. But all I know is it's like, it's, like, it's, it's like a grain, right? So I do know what a kernel of wheat looks like. We'll learn later there's wheat harvest going on as well. So, I mean, when we're talking small kernels, right? Like smaller than a kernel of corn. Is that right? Anybody know what barley looks like? I'm pretty sure that's right. 40 pounds of those little bitty things. Just as a, as a point of reference, the average gleaning for, a, for an average worker in that day, according to some Babylonian records that we have in hist- from history, says you might get two pounds in a day. You see what Boaz has done here? That's our fourth point. God's provision of grace and mercy is lavish and abundant to the needy who look to him. She didn't just get enough food for a day or two. She got enough food that first day for weeks. So was the grace and mercy of Boaz. Just like God's provision of grace and mercy is lavish and abundant to the needy who look to Him. Do you and I realize, do we really understand, do we stop and think about just how lavish God's grace is to us this morning? Do we we even slow down when we sing amazing grace and think about the fact that it is what indeed amazing? Are we daily, as His children, are we daily gleaning from the abundance 
that He's given us in Christ. You know, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we just read that. But hear what he's saying. We need to be praising God because, listen, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing there is in heaven in Christ. There's no more spiritual currency he could give. He's given it all in Jesus. We are infinitely wealthy. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, Elon Musk. Who's some of the other rich people in the world? Billionaires. I mean, money that we can't even imagine. But, but, but understand this, spiritually speaking. That's not infinite. Now, you might not be able to spend it all in your lifetime, but it's not infinite. God is, Paul is saying here, God has given us an infinite inheritance in Christ. And in verse 7 of Ephesians 1, he says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Listen which he lavished upon us. It's like grace overkill. It's like grace that is overflowing the cup. He gives to us his love and his grace and his mercy in lavish fashion. It'll never run out. If you're like me, sometimes you worry that you're going to wear out, spend up all of God's grace to you. Anybody? It's not possible. Because He saved you from the riches of His grace, and He's lavished it on you. You cannot out the grace of God. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That sure don't mean we ought to try. But when we think there can't possibly be any more grace, there is more grace. And it'll never run dry. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul's praying for the church at Ephesus. And he says, I'm praying for you that you being rooted and grounded in love. Whose love? Their love for one another? Hello? No, his, God's love for them and Jesus. I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, if you're listening, you realize what a crazy s- sentence that is. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go back and read that again. I'm praying that grounded in his love, rooted in his love, I'm praying that you'll have strength to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of his love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know something you can't know. I want you to know something that's beyond your knowledge. What's he saying? 
I just want God to give you an ever-increasing understanding of something you'll never fully comprehend, and that is the love of Christ for you. I'm telling you right now, the more we understand the love of Christ, it changes everything. If you and I are consistently growing in our understanding of his love for us, let me tell you something, it'll change your life every day. And if every day I was going back and remembering how lavish his love was for me, if I was growing in my understanding, if I was realizing, you know what, the breadth of his love, it's wider than I thought it was yesterday. Today I see it's, it, it's another hundred feet wide. The reality is there, there are no limits to his love. God's provision of grace and mercy is lavish. It's abundant to all the needy who will simply look to him in faith. Oh, we've given every spiritual blessing, been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, the story goes on, and it says she took it up, that is, that 40 pounds of barley, and went into the city. Her work day's over. She's got 40 pounds. By the way, let me just tell you something. She is one tough cookie. Throwing a bag, a 40-pound bag on her shoulder and walking to town. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her, remember what I told you about, you might mention leftovers, and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. In addition to the 40 pounds of barley, Boaz sends Ruth home with leftovers from lunch. Leftovers from their first date. And her mother-in-law's, she's just kind of freaking out. Listen to what she says in verse 19. Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? I mean, I think that's the same question, don't you? Really what's going on in the Hebrew here is she's just, this is all kind of excitement. She's, she can't understand. I mean, the woman's got, Ruth's got a 40-pound ba- bag of barley. She ought to have something no bigger than, the, than, a, than, a, than a bag of flour. And she's got a big old tote sack on her shoulder. And she's got a little lunch pail in her hand. Where'd you glean today? Where, where you been? Where, where you been working? Blessed be the man who took no such notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And you can just imagine Naomi's face at this point. She's already excited. And all of a sudden, she just goes to another level. She just freaks out. Her, her eyes light up. I think her voice got louder, and, and, and she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. More about what it means that Boaz is one of their redeemers next week. That'll be the whole point in chapter 3. And if you think it's been a good story so far... Just wait till next week. But look at what Naomi says about the Lord in this reaction. Uh, Boaz, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord. 
But then it says, by the Lord, the Lord's kindness. Whose kindness? The Lord's kindness. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The word kindness there, it's a beautiful word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed in Hebrew. It's a word that means so many things in one word. We don't have a word that can adequately translate hesed here. It means covenant love, committed love, faithfulness, goodness, grace, and mercy, all wrapped up into one. Naomi says, may Boaz be blessed of the Lord and the Lord's kindness, his, his, his hesed, his covenant love, his faithful love, his committed love to us. It's not, he's not forsaken us, the living or the dead. God was continuing to faithfully love Naomi's family. You know, that Naomi hadn't felt loved by God in a while. Ten years in a foreign country. Over the course of ten years, two sons die. After their father died, her husband died. She's left alone. She comes home with nothing but a Moabite daughter-in-law. Sweet girl, but that's all she had. And yet God's faithful covenant love had never been removed from Naomi. In fact, it was his love that had been unfolding this whole drama that we've been reading, bringing her to this very moment and the moments that will follow. God's hesed love, his loving kindness and covenant love, it's unending and faithful towards you. And toward me today, because it's been proven and secured once and for all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Man, Naomi and Ruth have been through some hard times, awful times. Some of you have too. But God's love had never ceased to be fixed on them. Nothing can ever separate you from His loving kindness. Paul said, nothing. Nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate you from His love. That doesn't mean things won't make you feel like He doesn't love you. Circumstances, people, hardships, trials, tragedies won't make you feel like He doesn't love you, but the reality will remain that nothing will separate you from His love. His love remains, and it remains as full and free as it's ever been. Well, in verse 21, it says, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, there's more, Naomi. He said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they've finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now that's just kind of an anticlimactic ending to an amazing chapter. 
But the description there in verse 23 is that weeks will pass. Ruth, every day, goes out, probably six, eight weeks, maybe more, and gleans in the field of Boaz. And that's where we're going to leave the story till next week. We have seen a blossoming and peace-providing barley field romance. It's going to come to fruition in the next two chapters. It's going to get even better. But we've seen the reality here this morning. That God surprises us with His lavish, peace-providing love in the most unlikely places. You know, you may be in such a place today. You may be in a place where you don't think there's anything, any way, God can get to you there. It's too hard. It's too ugly. But God loves to surprise us with his love in the most unlikely places. He wants you to know his love no matter where you are. No matter where you are, whether whether you got to where you are and that place you're in today is is the result of your own bad choices and decisions, even sin, God is there. His love is available to you this morning. Maybe it's just life circumstances that don't make any sense. They've been awful. You find yourself in that place of trial, and it's just hard. Your your soul, your heart feels dry. You don't feel the love of God. Hear me. His love for you has not changed. It's been proven once for all on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he rose on the third day, and he lives today, and he can come to you, and he can work in your life, and he loves to surprise us in the most unlikely places with his love. Will you seek his love? You know, Ruth went to that barley field looking to be sheltered under the wings of the Almighty God. Are you looking for his love? Are you asking him to show you his love once again, to remind you of his love? He wants you to know it. He wants you to see it. Let's pray together. Father, how we praise you for your word. How we praise you for your grace and mercy that we see in the book of Ruth. Lord, her story is our story. Truly, Lord, you found us initially when you saved us in, as a poor beggar, as a desperate, as desperate souls, spiritually starving and bankrupt in the hard place of a barley field somewhere where sin had left us. And, and you came to us. You spoke tenderly to us unprovoked by us and not because we sought you out. You sought us out. And through the gift of your Son, you took care of all of our needs and gave us an abundance. You lavishly loved us. And today, your love continues to be poured out into our hearts by your Spirit. Help us to see more of your love through the cross 
day after day. We'll never plumb the depths of it. Give us eyes to see, Lord. That from a heart soaked in your love, we would live to your glory and for the good of those around us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never known your love in Christ by faith, they've never trusted what Jesus has done, the payment, the full payment he's made for their sins, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Work in our hearts, I ask, as we close this time in song, as we sing together and worship your name. Work in our hearts. Change us, we pray, for your name's sake. Thank you for peace with God through Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together as you worship in song. This altar's open for you to come. If you don't know Jesus as your own personal Savior today, I invite you to come. I'd love to introduce you to him. Doors of our church are open to receive members any way we can as we sing.
I'm going to ask you just to remain standing. Joe, if you'll just continue to play softly. I want us to pray. Um, uh, this is our sister, Judy Price. Uh, Judy and her husband, Roy, have been visiting with us for a number of months now. And uh, we prayed earlier this morning for her husband, Roy. Roy um, came down with COVID uh, and ended up on a ventilator. And this morning is on a ventilator down in Jasper. Um, they've tried to wean him off of that. His heart's been weakened in addition to all that. And on Tuesday, uh, they'll be taking him off the ventilator. And so we just want to uh, pray for Roy and for Miss Judy in, in that time. Father, we just come to you. Uh, thank you that we've gotten to know Judy and Roy just a, a little bit. Thank you for bringing them our way. Thank you for the privilege to be one in Christ as brothers and sisters. And, and Father, for the opportunity even this week to be praying for Roy. And uh, Father, in the days ahead, to be praying for Judy and Roy. And God, this morning we do come and pray knowing that you are the great physician. And God, though it, it doesn't look good, Lord, it looks uh, like Roy will be with you soon. And God, that is certainly gain for Roy, even as Judy said to me just a minute ago. But Lord, we pray that if it's your will and, and God, you want to show your glory in, in this situation through supernatural healing, natural healing we pray for that you are able you are able and God we pray that if that would bring glory to you if you could honor the name of Christ among many that you would do that for your name's sake even on Tuesday God we pray for Judy her and Roy's four kids and their grandchildren that you would strengthen and uphold them in these next few days and that whatever your will is Father that they would find refuge in you that they would praise you that they would rejoice in you that they would know of your love and, and the security of Roy's soul in the hands of his Savior we praise you Father and we thank you for how you're going to answer this prayer we pray for your will to be done and we praise you that we can come to you and cry out as, to you as our Father. Strengthen this precious family. Strengthen Judy, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all. 63 years they've been married, she just said. So we praise the Lord. You may be seated for just a moment. Amen. Continue to pray for the prices this week. We have coming this morning... Um, couple folks here so well y'all can y'all can sit down you don't have to stand up um first of all john and laurie um taylor come to us they've been visiting with us for a while gone through our new members class and um come to us by transfer of letter from first baptist church so glad to have them their daughter heather and uh, her husband chris and and hattie joined the church just a couple weeks ago uh, maybe last week uh, it seems like two weeks, but it's probably just one week. Um, and then Kathy Rickert also uh, joining us today by statement of faith, um, having been baptized in, a, in another church by immersion, and so uh, comes to join us by statement of faith today. Kathy also been with us for a number of months now, gone through our um, new members class and, and serving in uh, our uh, ILC and, and just been a great encouragement to us as well. What's the pleasure of the church of Gardner Seaven? 
John and Laurie and Kathy today. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Is there a second? All in favor, let, know, let it be known by saying amen. And we love you. We do love you and we appreciate you growing to love and know you and excited about how God's going to use each of you. Uh, in our midst, we believe that when God brings people, they come with gifts that our body needs here, the Church of, the church of Christ needs here. And we pray that God would use us. Um, and we, we're going to ask God to use us in your lives as well. Amen, church?